the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Study Verse by Verse, Pastor Leighton Sheely is continuing in the book of Matthew, the fourth chapter, and he'll focus in on those verses that deal with following Jesus and exactly what that means. In fact, Peter suggests that when he, a little bit later when he says, we've left everything to follow you. And what that tells us is that when Jesus calls, people must be willing to set aside their plans and goals and sometimes things they once considered important in order to follow Jesus. What does the hymn say? I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. A powerful thought as we bring you another edition of Study Verse by Verse, Ministry of Church of the Highlands in San Bruno, on the web at highlands.us. And here, once again, in the fourth chapter of Matthew, is Pastor Layton. Now, there's two references to Zebulon and Naphtali. And uh, those were two of the original 12 tribes of Israel that were given this property when the nation of Israel entered into the promised land under Joshua. And so it's referenced as the area of uh, Zebulon and Naphtali. Uh, in, uh, when the Assyrians invaded, they had a tendency to take out the people that lived in a place and replace them. And uh, that meant that the place would have been filled with Gentiles about 700 years before Christ, And that's one of the reasons why Isaiah refers to this area as Galilee of the Gentiles. Now, Matthew's choice of using this phrase, Galilee of the Gentiles, suggests another reference to the universal outreach of the gospel message. Jesus came to preach salvation by grace, even to those who are in deep spiritual darkness, and to the entire world, Jew and Gentile alike. This was in fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy in chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. Verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Does that message sound familiar? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand was the same message that John the Baptist preached. And by the way, it's the same message that's preached today and should be preached today. Repent. Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Someday soon Jesus Christ is coming again. And we need to be prepared for that. But the Old Testament uh, prophets often spoke of a future kingdom that would be ruled by a descendant of King David, established here on earth, and uh, would exist for eternity. And so when he said the kingdom of heaven is near, the Jewish people understood that that meant that the Messiah was coming to inaugurate this earthly kingdom. And that caused great excitement. The problem was that there was a misunderstanding of the nature and the timing of this kingdom. Now, the kingdom of God began when God entered history as Jesus, but its fulfillment won't be realized until Jesus comes again and judges and removes the evil of this world. He came first as the suffering servant, and he will come again as king and judge. 
So when we read the word kingdom in the New Testament, it's referring to rule, reign, or authority rather than a specific place. When we hear the word kingdom, we usually think of a place. But in Scripture, it's talking about rule, reign, and authority, the rule of God. The Jewish people wanted a Messiah that was going to deliver them from Rome. But Jesus came to bring a spiritual kingdom. And God's kingdom is in the hearts and minds of men, women, and children who have accepted and received him as their king and their Lord. Verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. In the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So we're told in the passage, not only is Jesus proclaiming the good news to many people, he's also calling a few to be his disciples who he's going to train for the ongoing work of the kingdom. Now, fishing was the main industry of the approximately 30 towns that surrounded the Sea of Galilee in Jesus' day. And Capernaum was the largest of these fishing towns. Scripture tells us that Simon and his brother Andrew actually came from Bethsaida, which was another town on the shore, but they had made their home in Capernaum. And we learn that this is not the first encounter between them and Jesus. John's gospel again helps fill us in on some of the background. There were two, Andrew and an unnamed disciple, who were disciples of John the Baptist. Uh, By the way, the tradition is that that unnamed disciple is John, the brother of James. And you remember that John the Baptist baptized Jesus. The next day, Jesus was walking by, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And from that day, Andrew and the unnamed disciple followed Jesus, were disciples of Jesus. But here, Matthew is referring to something far more specific, something that was different. And it's implied by the statement that they left their boat and their nets. Follow is one of the major descriptions of discipleship in the gospel. And the expression, they left their nets, implies that they're leaving their livelihood. They are going full-time now into ministry with Jesus. In fact, Peter suggests that when he, a little bit later when he says, we've left everything to follow you. And what that tells us is that when Jesus calls, people must be willing to set aside their plans and goals and sometimes things they once considered important in order to follow Jesus. And though all believers must be willing, not every believer is called to leave behind their profession, their, their work. Well, one of the examples is Joseph of, Marathea, of Arimathea, who is a disciple of Jesus but retained his position and his wealth in order to be in a position where he could bless Jesus with service at Jesus' greatest need, and that was by providing the tomb in which Jesus was buried for those three days. So whatever our profession is, whether we're a teacher or a plumber or a technician or a doctor or a nurse or whatever it might be, discipleship means putting Jesus as the priority in our lives and obeying him and reaching the world with the gospel of the good news of the kingdom of God. All believers are called to full-time ministry. Some people think, no, full-time ministry is for the people with the collars and the titles. No, according to Scripture, all believers are called to full-time ministry. 
Ephesians chapter 4 tells us that God gave pastors and teachers to equip the saints, the believers, for works of service. It's actually the believers that do the works of service. We're all called to ministry, wherever we are, whatever work we're doing. And wherever you are, you can reach people that the pastor can't. If you're in a police work, law enforcement, you can reach law enforcement officers that will never step inside of the church to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're a business person, you can reach business people that won't step inside of the church, at least until they receive Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. And so each of us, wherever we are, is given the opportunity. We're led wherever we are to be a minister wherever God has placed us. And whatever business we're engaged in, he can use it. Whatever talent we have, he can use it. Whatever hobbies or interests we have, he can use it for his purposes. I want you to notice the words I will make in the statement that Jesus says. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. It's Jesus that is the empowering agent. It's our job to follow him. And if we follow him, he will make us fishers of men. A fishing for men is only one of many pictures the scripture has about evangelism. There are others like workers in the harvest field and so forth. But since the men he was speaking to this day were fishermen, it's logical that he would use a picture that would help them connect the dots. Verse 23 And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those uh, oppressed by demons, those having seizure and paralytics, and he healed them. So what the passage tells us is that when Jesus came to a town, he first went to the synagogue. What is a synagogue? Well, during the exile, when the Jewish people were uh, dispersed, they couldn't get to the temple in Jerusalem to worship, and so they would create places of worship in the towns where they were. But those places of worship quickly became teaching institutions. They were the religious institutions or universities of their day. And so if you were going to teach something religious, you, you would go to the synagogue. Jesus began his teaching in the synagogues of the cities that he would visit. And notice he says, as Jesus traveled throughout Galilee, he was teaching, he was preaching or proclaiming, and he was healing. These describe three major categories of ministry that Jesus was doing as he went from town to town throughout Galilee. And the fact that he was teaching indicates that Jesus had a concern for the health of a person's mind. The fact that he was preaching shows his concern for the health of the heart and soul. And the fact that he was healing shows Jesus' concern for the body. Mind, soul, body. Some people think that Jesus is only interested in healing the spiritual aspect, not according to Scripture. He wants us to be completely whole. Mind, soul, and body. And the healings show that Jesus had compassion on those who were suffering, and revealed that the kingdom had indeed arrived in power. It says that he healed all manner of sickness, all manner of disease. What it's saying is is there was nothing too hard for Jesus to heal. There was nothing too difficult for him to heal. Now, Scripture tells us that sickness, in its various forms, is the product 
of living in a fallen world. Isaiah 11, Isaiah 35 tell us that when the Messiah would come, such grief would end. So the arrival of the kingdom of the Messiah, the kingdom of Christ, confirmed Jesus' power over sickness and all realms of the human experience, spiritual, physical, and emotional. Now, the implication here is that Jesus didn't heal people by the dozens or by the hundreds, but by the thousands. Now, I think we all know that enemies will use anything they can to discredit. And one of the reasons the enemies of Jesus never questioned the the miracles is because there was too many examples of them walking around. There was just way too much evidence that Jesus had indeed healed many, many people. Well, we're going to have to leave it right there here on Study Verse by Verse for this Friday and come back on Monday to wrap up this message. I sure hope you can join us. If you'd like information about Church of the Highlands and specifically their service times, you'll find that right on the website highlands.us. They have a service on Saturday evening and then five services on Sunday. All the details are available on that website, highlands.us. I'm Mike Trout. Have a blessed weekend and come back on Monday if you can as we open the Bible to the book of Matthew once again and study verse by verse.